You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have UFC Fight Night Paris or UFC Paris. Gone versus Spivak taking place this upcoming Saturday night in Paris, France from the Acor Arena or Accor Arena with a heavyweight main event between top 10 ranked contenders in the number two ranked former interim heavyweight champion in Cyril Bongamin Gan coming back after that submission loss to John Bones Jones back at UFC 285, taking on the number seven ranked grappling phenom in Sergey the Polar Bear Spivak. And then in the co-main event of the evening, you have a phenomenal battle in the women's 125-pound division between the number two ranked kickboxing standout in Manon Firo taking on the number two ranked fighter debuting in the UFC's women's flyweight division after becoming the UFC strawweight champion in Thug Rose Namajunas. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, all right, all right. So I'm sure you guys won't care, but um, I'm working on a different computer for this one. So if it sounds any different, uh, let me know. But I am going to be breaking down UFC Paris for this weekend, Gone versus Spivak. And the first thing I'm going to say is when it comes to a betting perspective on the card, there's a lot of fighters who are debuting. There's a lot of fighters who are very wishy-washy when it comes to betting on them. And there's a lot of close fights, which makes this a pretty difficult card to bet on. But if you ride with a lot of underdogs, I have a feeling that more than a few of them will cash this week. Um, it's just the stylistic matchups. I think that the matchups between most of the fighters on this card make it close, and you might be sitting there clenching your ass cheeks for a little bit because you're a little worried about what you bet on, but I think this is a good card for betting, you know, from certain perspectives. But, yeah, it's a good card overall. I mean, Man and Firo versus Rose Namajunas. Namajunas coming back after that long layoff after that loss to Carla Sparza, where she lost that lost her strawweight championship, I'm sorry, in a very lackluster performance. And I'm a big Rose fan, but you know, I think everybody can agree there. I think it was more of Rose lost the fight, but Carla didn't beat Rose. Like I didn't think Carla did enough to win that fight, but I also didn't think that Rose did enough to like stake her claim as the winner of that matchup. A lot of people say one of the worst women's fights in UFC history. You know, I, I'm not going to take it that far, you know, but it, it definitely wasn't easy to get through. You've got Benoit St. Denis, who's moved up to the lightweight division. Looks like a phenom coming off that first round rear naked choke submission over one half of the Bonfim brothers in Ishmael Bonfim, taking on a UFC lightweight, you know, veteran at this point and a very tough test for his lightweight career in Tiago Moises. You have Volkan Uzdemir taking on Bogdan Guskov. Uh, Bogdan Guskov is a guy who I didn't know before I broke down this card, but man, the guy can crack. The guy has a lot of power in his hands, and I think that that's definitely something you have to look out for when two guys are going to be slugging it out, even though Volkan, uh, Volkan is a former title challenger, but we'll get to that fight later on. William Gomez and Lucas Almeida is a great fight. Um, we're going to skip a lot of the, the debuting fighters just because I didn't have a ton of time to watch the tape. So I'm going to break down most of the fights. I was going to look at Taylor Lapalus versus Muin Gafarov, but Lapalus coming off this, you know, 
I think he got injured and then Gafarov, or no, I think Gafarov got hurt and then Lapalus had to obviously trying to find a late notice replacement. Nora Cor- Cornoli versus Jocelyn Edwards, Zara Farine versus Jacqueline Cavalcanti. Uh, Angelusa and Reese McGee should be a good one for Reed Boschrat and Clayson Rodriguez or Clayson Rodriguez. Um, we're going to break down the entire main card, and then I'm going to break down the battle between Basharat and Rodriguez. So not a ton of prelims just because of all the debuting fighters. It's going to be uh, pretty hard to break those down because when they come into the UFC, you never know how a fighter is going to perform. Sometimes they come in and they look like a million bucks. Sometimes they come in and the pressure gets to them and they feel like they can't perform to the best of their degree and they look worse than they might look in their second or third fight if they get another shot in the promotion. But we'll start off in the bantamweight division between Farid Basharat taking on Clayjason Rodriguez. Basharat coming in 10-0, 8-2 for Rodriguez. This is a tough matchup. And, you know, I know a lot of people are going to immediately side with Basharat because he is a 3-1 favorite. But Clayjason Rodriguez, man, this guy is a dog. He Look at the fight against CJ Vergara. He was losing, he was losing, he came back in a round where he was getting dominated, getting out grappled, getting controlled, came back and was able to land some big shots against Vergara, was able to reverse positions, was able to reverse and get into the top position on the ground and land some ground and pound. I believe it got to a point where he was able to lock up the body triangle on Vergara and kind of keep him stationary in that position. But at the end of the day, we know what we're going to expect from a guy like Rodriguez. He's going to be looking to land brutal switch kicks to the body, a lot of in-and-out movement, big, heavy, powerful kicks, heavy punches. He has good grappling, has good scrambling, but at the end of the day, on the floor is not somewhere you want to be against a guy like Farid Bashrat. He has great grappling, great control from the top position, looks for submissions, looks for ground and pound, and Clayjason Rodriguez seems to have issues with his cardio if Farid is able to push that wrestling pace, push that grappling get those takedowns early and often against Rodriguez, then he more than likely is going to be able to slow down a guy like Clayjason. And you also have to think, Clayjason's a former flyweight. He's moving up to bantamweight because he had issues missing weight in his last fight, which I believe got the fight to actually get called off, if I remember correctly. So you're, he's coming up to a new weight class. He's going to be rejuvenated. He's going to be refreshed because he's not cutting as much weight. But at the same time, how is that going to affect his performance? Is that strength advantage not going to be there? Um, the one thing I do like about him moving up in weight is that he's going to have a speed advantage over most bantam weights, in my opinion. Very fast kicks, very fast spinning kicks, body kicks, one twos down the middle, spinning back fists. I mean, the guy is explosive on the feet. He's technical, and I think he has the chance to catch Farid. I, I don't, I do not like these odds. I don't think he should be almost a three to one favorite. I think maybe a two to one favorite is a little bit more respectable, making Farid like minus one ninety between minus one ninety and minus two ten. But Rodriguez is tough. Rodriguez has finishing instinct, and I know he's eight and two, but ten and zero compared to eight and two. Yeah, you have two losses, but at the same time, man, Rodriguez is a dog. I would not blame you if you took a shot on Clayjason in this fight at plus two twenty five. He's probably plus two fifty, plus two sixty at this point. I think he's a decent shot at an underdog, but I do favor the grappling upside. I do favor the top control the positional advantages, the the ability to hunt for submissions. I think that over 15 minutes, the grappling and wrestling pressure of Farid is going to get to Clayjason Rodriguez, but Farid can, can strike. He's got good footwork, good movement, good counter strikes, good ability to step in and out of range pretty well, use his kicks and use his striking to set up the 
pulley effect, kind of the push and pull to set up his grappling and his takedowns to get it to get the fight to where he wants to go. And um, I think he's definitely the more well-rounded of the Basharat brothers. And I think he should get this one done. But Klaigeson is a dangerous opponent. Like I said, he has heavy power. He has explosiveness. He has decent grappling and, and a decent ground game. And he has the power to hurt Basharat if he lands a big body kick, if he lands a big knee, if he lands a big shot to uh, you know right on the chin. He has the power to change this fight with one shot. And it's going to be, do you think he is able to translate that to the bantamweight division? I think his speed is going to be a problem, but eventually I think Bashrat is going to be able to work those takedowns. I think he is going to be able to slow him down throughout the 15 minutes. And I think Klaigeson is durable and tough enough to last that 15 minutes. So I am going to go with Fareed Bashrat, but I'm going to go with Fareed Bashrat via decision. Um, I don't love the fight from a betting perspective. I Like I said, I do think Bashrat should be the favorite but at the same time, I could see areas where Klaigeson Rodriguez can land a big shot where he can get Farid in trouble and maybe land the bigger shots of the fight while the volume goes to Farid and maybe it makes for a wishy-washy decision. But I am going to go with Farid Basharat to get the better of Rodriguez over the 15-minute time limit. So give me Farid Basharat to defeat Klaigeson Rodriguez via 29-28 unanimous decision. That's going to be it for the prelims. Um, we're going to move over to the main card, and we're going to start off in the featherweight division with a battle between William Gomez and Lucas Almeida. Now, I picked Lucas Almeida to beat a guy in Pat Sabatini in his last time out, and he had about 20 seconds throughout the two rounds that the fight lasted to stay on the feet. It was grappling. It was cage pressure. It was takedowns. It was top control. It was moving into the mount. It was big ground and pound. It was lock, trying to lock up submissions and just suffocating grappling pressure from one of the best grapplers in the division in Sabatini. I think myself included, along with others, took that fight with Pat Sabatini and Damon Jackson and really just overestimated how much that was going to affect him in a fight against another dangerous striker like Lucas Almeida. We knew that if Almeida got taken down, it was going to be a problem, but we hadn't seen him get taken down like that and controlled in his career. Now going into this next fight against Gomez, you look and say, if you're a really talented grappler, a really talented wrestler, you can more than likely control a guy like Almeida up against the cage. You can change levels from the body lock to the double leg or the single leg. You can work from that top position and more than likely overwhelm him the longer the fight goes. And is that something I think he's going to be looking at with a guy like Gomez? No, I don't. I don't think he's going to have that wrestling threat. I don't think it's going to have that wrestling pressure in this fight compared to the Pat Sabatini fight. And in that regard, I think it's going to give Lucas Almeida a much better shot to win this fight. He's coming in again as the underdog around plus 120, plus 130 to a minus 140, minus 150 for William Gomez. And I think this is a fight that is very winnable for a guy like Almeida. You look at the height, it's going to be a one-inch height advantage and a two-inch reach advantage for Gomez. Gomez is going to want to use that two-inch reach advantage throughout the entirety of this fight because you look at a guy like Gomez, he doesn't really have knockout power. He has knockouts, but it's not like one-hitter-quitter ability. You know, maybe he has one, I would say he has probably one kick knockout power more than one punch knockout power. Lucas Almeida has heavy combinations. He mixes up between the head and the body and the low kicks. Very good Muay Thai, very good kickboxing, light on the feet, uses a lot of good lateral movement, kind of steps off to the outside, then executes the pivot to give him a little bit more space to avoid counters. Good slipping his head off the center line to come back with that counter, just like you saw against Mike Trezano. One, two, slip, 
Bang, landed that left hook on an awkward angle, caught Mike Trezano on the chin and dropped him, always catching him with that left hook. Good low kicks, good right low kick, jab, um, one, two, left hook to the body, right low kick, jab, left hook. At the same time, he can get caught. We saw Michael Trezano catch him with a big knee after he rocked him with a left hook of his own, I believe. I think he rocked him with a left hook came up the middle in the clinch with a knee, and then dropped him. Um, he does have chin issues, does Lucas Almeida. Um, I think that might be an issue, but at the same time, you're looking at a guy in Gomez who doesn't have the one-hitter-quitter knockout ability. But if he's able to pick apart a guy like Lucas Almeida, keep it at kicking range, just outside of kicking range, and land the big shots, then I do think that a guy like Gomez is going to be able to outpoint Lucas Almeida. But do you favor a guy to win a point-fighting matchup, or do you favor the guy with more finishing ability, uh, more finishing ability and more knockout power? Um, I think that that's really the question when you're breaking down Almeida versus Gomez, because the more technical striker overall is probably Gomez. He uses his jab, he uses his check hook, always circling to the outside of the lead foot, good front kicks to the body. Good body kicks, jab, left hook, right body kick, front kicks up the middle. He's going to be looking to control the hands and circle off, constantly looking to circle, land those front kicks, land those body kicks. I believe he's actually a southpaw, so it's southpaw versus orthodox in this fight. So he's going to be looking to circle outside, constantly be on that lateral movement, stay at the kicking range, use that reach advantage, and just poke and pick apart Lucas Almeida to the point where maybe he can slow him down, land a big shot, and knock him out. But at the same time, I look at Almeida. I think Almeida definitely has the speed advantage in this fight. But with mixing up his combinations, he has the power advantage. I would say he has the variety advantage in terms of overall variety in his striking. Gomez can use his grappling and can use his wrestling. But this is a fight where I think it would favor him to use that. But at the same time, um, I think Gomez is going to look to strike it out with Almeida. And I think Almeida, that's exactly what he wants. I think Almeida's coming into this fight looking to put on, you know, a statement-making performance, and he does get hurt and he does get clipped. So if you're fading durability, you might want to side with Gomez to be able to use that footwork, use that reach advantage, and just use the jab, keep the jab in his face, jab, front kicks, low kicks, hook to circle off to the body kick, and then be able to pick him apart as the fight goes on. But at the same time, I, I'm going to side with Lucas Almeida. I'm going to side with the underdog here. And I usually don't like to pick a guy where I picked him the last time and he got absolutely dominated. But this is a different matchup than Pat Sabatini for Lucas Almeida. This matchup is going to give Almeida the avenue to win this fight. He's going to be able to keep it on the feet. He's going to be striking, and he's going to have the power and speed advantage, in my opinion. And he's the more dangerous fighter throughout the 15 minutes. If it goes to decision, I would probably say that William Gomez wins that decision. But if it ends inside the distance... Almost every time, I'm going to say at least 80 to 85% of the time, Almeida is going to be the guy who finds that knockout shot, the big left hook, the big right hand, um, a big a big overhand. Like he lands something on Gomez's chin and knocks him out. So I'm going to go with Lucas Almeida to win this fight via knockout. I think he finds the avenue to land that big left hook, follows up with a right hand on Gomez who keeps his chin in the air and doesn't really move his head off the center line. He's going to expose that fight with Almeida using that head movement and constantly slipping and coming back with counters, mixing up between the head and the body and being the faster fighter. So give me Lucas Almeida as the plus 120, plus 130 underdog to defeat William Gomez via second round knockout. All right, up next, we're moving on to a battle in the light heavyweight division between Vulcan, No Time, Uzdemir taking on a UFC newcomer in Bogdan. 
Guskov. Bogdan comes into the fight with a record of 14 victories and two defeats, coming back on the side of Volkan Uzdemir with a record of 18 victories and seven defeats. Um, when I look at this fight, I think you have to look at the careers of both fighters. Who's faced the better competition? Volkan Uzdemir. Who probably has the more well-rounded mixed martial arts game? Volkan Uzdemir. Who has been in the fire more? Volkan Uzdemir. But again, does that damage that he's taken, do those knockout losses that he's taken finally catch up to him? You look at the fight with Nikita Krylov. I mean, he was getting dominated by Volkan in that first round. Hurt, rocked early and often. And then I believe uh, Nikita Krylov was able to come back and win that fight via decision by using his grappling, using his top control, you know, looking to set up submissions and just exposing the grappling inefficiencies of Volkan Uzdemir that we first saw exposed in his title fight against Daniel Cormier back at UFC 220. Volkan Uzdemir is going to have the knockout power, and a guy like Bogdan Guskov keeps his head on the center line. He keeps it on the center line, doesn't really move his head, uses his length, reach, and distance to kind of walk his opponents into big shots or just rushing into the pocket and landing a big bomb and, and catching the opponent on the chin. Volkan Uzdemir, known as no time when he came into the UFC, the guy still has knockout power. The guy still has one-hitter-quitter ability. The guy hurt Yuri Prohaska a few times. He rocked Nikita Krylov early and often in that fight. Probably should have got him out of there. Um, he hurt DC with one shot early on in that fight. Knocked out Jimmy Manoa early in the fight. I believe it was like 20 seconds into the first round. Probably less than that. He's going to have the power to shut the lights off on Bogdan Guskov. But I think Bogdan Guskov has power to shut out the lights of Volkan Uzdemir as well. And although he hasn't been in the UFC, 14-2 and two is a record that you have to respect. But when guys come in off the regional scene, when guys come in out of different promotions, you do have to take that into consideration when breaking down the fight and thinking, okay, but who's faced the better competition? You know, did he fight a lot of cans? in his regional career before he got to the UFC. What I've seen from this guy is I would say Volkan Uzdemir might be a little bit more technical, but the right hook or the switch stance right hook from orthodox to southpaw as the opponent steps in is a big weapon for Bogdan Guskov. That right hook is mean. It is nasty. And if he catches Volkan Uzdemir on the chin, I think he has the potential to knock him out. You also have to look at the fact that this is MMA. If the fight does go to the ground, I think Bogdan Guskov can outgrapple Volkan Uzdemir. We've seen him throw up triangles. We've seen him throw up submissions off of his back. We've seen him take rear naked chokes on opponents as well. So I think the overall more well-rounded fighter is Bogdan Guskov. I think the more technical fighter might ever so slightly go to Volkan Uzdemir, but the competition advantage, the experience advantage, that goes to Volkan Uzdemir. And Volkan always has that one-hitter-quitter ability and that equalizer that even if he's not as technical, he can shut the lights out on his opponents if he connects on the chin. I think this is going to be a battle of who connects first, and I could definitely see people siding with the underdog in Guskov. I could see people siding with Uzdemir based off of the things we just touched on. But at the same time, I think I want to take a shot on the underdog in Bogdan Guskov here. Um, I think that he has the power to hurt Uzdemir. I mean, I've seen a little bit more from him when it comes to the grappling and jiu-jitsu side of his game, and I think he is the overall more well-rounded fighter. Now, when you come into the UFC, he might get knocked out in 20 seconds. He might get knocked out with one punch. That's definitely going to be an issue for him or definitely a possible outcome facing the number nine-ranked light heavyweight in the world, but I don't think Volkan Uzdemir is the same guy that he was before. Um, I think he's improved in certain aspects of his game, but I think the chin and durability is kind 
kind of fading on him. And I would say that Bogdan Guskov does have a little bit more left in the tank. He hasn't been in as many wars. He hasn't been knocked out as many times. I think you do have to take all those things into consideration. And although it might not be the smartest pick, I am going to side with Bogdan Guskov here to be able to finish Volkan Uzdemir. I think he catches him with that right hook. I think Volkan's going to come in close the distance, close the pocket. I think he switches between orthodox and southpaw, and as he switches, he catches Vulcan stepping in with that right hook, drops him, jumps on him, and gets a TKO. So I'm going to go with the UFC newcomer and the plus 150 underdog in Bogdan Guskov to defeat the number nine ranked Vulcan, no time Uzdemir, via second round knockoff off that stance switch right hook. All right, and now we move to the next fight up in the lightweight division between a newly debuting lightweight, formerly being in the welterweight division, I believe, in Benoit Saint-Denis, coming up against a lightweight veteran, a very decorated multiple-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, and a BJJ gold medalist in Thiago Moises. Moises versus Saint-Denis. Here's the deal. In my opinion, this is a 50-50 fight. This is a 50-50 fight. I think that either fighter can win this fight in various aspects. I would say the more technical fighter overall with sharper skills, sharper ability to set things up, sharper grappling, sharper striking, I think that's Tiago Moises all day. He's got really solid grappling, really good ability to take the back of the opponent. He can jump on the backpack, lock up the body triangle, uh, look to get a neck crank, look to get a rear naked choke. He's got good takedowns, really likes to attack the single leg, um, especially against the southpaw opponent. He loves that single leg because the lead leg is closer for him to uh, go down and snatch it up or go down head on the inside, spin, and eventually get the takedowns. And that is something that he's going to be facing here against the fighter in Benoit Saint-Denis. Now, which fighter has more power? That's Benoit Saint-Denis, in my opinion. Very, very good left body kicks. He landed about 10 left body kicks from Southpaw against his opponent in his last fight in Ishmael Bonfim. Constantly body kick, body kick, body kick, body kick. And the guy loves to get into brawls. And I think if he brawls with Moises, I think he can uh, beat him in a brawl. But if it stays a more technical, cerebral fight with a lot of grappling, a lot of takedowns, and kind of striking from the distance, I think Tiago Moises wins that fight. I do think that it's very close and if a bunch of people are jumping on Benoit Saint-Denis in this fight, I think that's a little bit of an overcorrection from his last performance because he was such a big underdog against the Bonfim brother. And that was a fight where I thought the Bonfim brother was going to be able to knock him out. And that's not what happened. So I was wrong in that regard too. I think at the same time, Benoit Saint-Denis is going to have the power advantage. He's going to be fighting out of his hometown in France. So he's going to have a little bit extra motivation to come into this fight and look to land a big shot, look to get into a brawl. And I think if he gives up grappling positions too much and kind of gets a little reckless with his takedowns, a little reckless with closing the pocket, a little reckless in getting into the clinch, I think he'll give Thiago Moises more avenues to win that type of fight. If you enter the clinch recklessly, he goes to those double underhooks. He goes to the over-under position. He gets the back. He jumps on the back with the body triangle, jumps on the back with the backpack. That's going to be a problem. You don't want to do that against a decorated grappler as technical as Tiago Moises because if you give the guy your back and your name's not Islam Mahachev, you're pretty much done. I mean, I mean, you're going to lose that fight. And Benoit Saint-Denis will lose that fight as well. He has good wrestling. He has relentless pressure. He has good grappling. But if it's grappler versus grappler, I think Moises wins that fight all day. So. 
in that regard, I think it's a tough fight. But I think Benoit Saint-Denis has the power advantage. He's got the hometown advantage. He's probably going to be pretty motivated to get in here and put Tiago Moises out. But if I'm looking at the better fighter, I think it's Moises. But I don't know who I want to pick. I really don't. Because I could see either fighter winning this. I think Moises does have some durability issues. Maybe those body kicks from Benoit hurt him. But at the same time, he throws some, some body kicks and Moises catches him. He can catch the kick, single leg, chuck him to the side, take the back, jump on the back, body triangle, go for the single to the double. He can close the pocket. I think this is a tough fight. And I think a lot of people are counting out Tiago Moises a little too much in this matchup. Uh, looking at the stats, two-inch height advantage and a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage for St. Denis. But at the same time, I mean, this is tough. 4.11 significant strikes landed per minute for St. Denis, 2.47 strikes landed per minute for Tiago Moises. So the more active striker is definitely St. Denis. But you know that's going to be the case because the guy closes forward, crashes the pocket, strikes a little recklessly, gets into brawls, um, gets hit on his way in as well, which is why I said I think the more technical striker is Moises. Um, the better grappler overall is Moises. And the guy who makes less mistakes is Tiago Moises. I'm going to side with, uh, man, I, I don't know, because I feel like I should pick somebody, but it's hard. Um, let me think. Uh Man, I don't know. This is tough because either guy can win this fight. Like I said, it's 50-50 for the most part. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Tiago Moises. I think Benoit Saint-Denis is just going to make one big mistake in those exchanges, give up his back at a certain point, give up a position. Moises is going to be able to take the back and get a submission. The smart pick is probably Benoit Saint-Denis. And he might be able to put out Moises because I feel like Moises is at the tail end of his career, but he's still a very, very dominant grappler. He still has good technical striking, and I feel like he makes less mistakes overall in a fight than a guy like St. Denis. So give me Tiago Moises to defeat a Benoit St. Denis via a second round rear naked choke submission. I think this is a little bit of a overhype from his last performance against the Bonfim brother, and I think we're going to see a little bit of a come to Jesus moment in this fight. And we're going to have Tiago Moises get that submission. So give me Tiago Moises second round rear naked choke. All right. And now we're at the co-main event of the evening in the women's flyweight division with a number two ranked contender, a standout kickboxer with decent wrestling and grappling in her own right. And at least with the timing when she chooses to execute those takedowns to win the fight or win the rounds in the number two ranked Manon Firo undefeated, in professional mixed martial arts, I believe at 10 and 0. Oh, it says 10 and 1 on here, but undefeated in the UFC at least. Going up against the number two ranked UFC strawweight, former UFC strawweight champion, jumping up to 125 pounds in the returning thug Rose Namayunis. Man, this is a great matchup, and this is a tough matchup for Puro. It's a very tough matchup for Rose Namayunis. It's a very coin flip esque fight, in my opinion. I think Manon Firo, I watched three of her fights in breaking down this card. And what I see is she's got a lot of power. She has a lot of power, 
But the one thing I don't like is that when she throws her strikes or she commits on her strikes, she leaves her head on the center line to get countered a little bit too much for my liking. And that might work against some girls like a Tabitha Ricci. It might work against girls like a Caitlin Chukagian. I don't think that style is going to work as well against a girl with the fluidity, movement, head movement, and counter striking of a Rose Namajunas. And I know people are going to say that Manon Firo has good takedowns, good wrestling, good top pressure. Yeah, she does have takedowns, and she's probably going to be able to get takedowns against Rose. But the work off of her back, the sweeps that Rose can execute, whether it's a half-guard sweep, a butterfly sweep, uh, going to the Kimura grip to try to get the sweep, looking for arm bars, she's very active off of her back. And even if you take down a girl like Rose Namajunas, she's not going to sit there and really just give up position and lay on your back so you can win based on top control time and, you know, little pitter-pat shots with ground and pound. Now, if we're looking at the more powerful striker in terms of one-hitter-quitter ability, I would definitely give that to Firo, but I think a lot of people sleep on the power in the striking of Rose Namajunas. She knocked out Joanna Yunjacek. She dropped M uh, Michelle Waterson with a head kick and then eventually submitted her. She knocked out Zhang Wei Li with a high kick. She rocked Zhang Wei Li with some strikes in the boxing as well. Rose Namajunas is very technical. She's very light on the feet, and she has a lot of power in the striking. When I was looking at Man and Firo, for the most part, it's going to be southpaw versus orthodox. Firo's going to be out of that southpaw stance, and the one thing that Rose has to look out for is that check right hook. The check right hook of Firo is very powerful. She uses it to set up that lead leg sidekick. Sometimes she'll fake the sidekick, throw the check right hook, and follow up with the left cross behind it. Sometimes she'll step into range fake two, three, but the biggest punch of her entire game is the check right hook against the orthodox fighter. And I think her style works best against fighters who either walk forward and pressure you like a Myra Bueno Silva, which is a very good win in my opinion, especially after we saw what uh, Myra Bueno Silva did to Holly Holm. That's a very good win um, for Firo, but walking forward, high guard, shoot the box in your face, you know, no lateral movement, no head movement, not that good of footwork. That's the style that Firo's going to, you know, execute phenomenally against. But if you look at the fight with Caitlin Chukagian, she had some issues in that first round with the timing, with the counters, with the footwork, with the mixing up of the combinations. And I think she dropped the first round to Chukagian, came back in one round two and round three. It was a close round, but I scored it round one for Caitlin Chukagian, round two and three for Man, in Firo, I think the biggest thing that people are looking at in this fight is the fact that Rose is coming up in weight. Rose looked terrible in her last fight against Carla Esparza, and we don't know what the mental game of Rose is going to be like. If Rose is on mentally, she's one of the best fighters, if not the best female fighter in the world, 100%. If she's off mentally, she doesn't look that good, and she might drop fights where she's winning, or like that Jessica Andrade fight in the first fight. She looked the best she's ever looked, beating her up picking her apart, using good footwork, evasive movement, one-twos down the middle, the low kicks, the combinations, um, the in-and-out movement, the counter-striking, it looked great. She got caught in that single leg, went to attack with the Kimura grip, and got dropped on her head and knocked out. She comes back, beats up Jessica Andrade in the rematch, clearly wins, but it is a close fight, you know, and the pressure and walking forward power of Andrade gave her trouble. She comes into the first fight against Zhang Wei Li. Everybody's counting her out. She head kicks her in the first round, knocks her out. The first fight against Joanna Yunjacek, she's counted out heavily. She knocks her out in the, I believe it was this first round. 
Knox Rao comes back, wins the rematch by decision. Again, Zhang Wei Li comes back, wins that rematch by decision. I think a lot of people don't favor Rose Namajunas because she's a very unassuming fighter. She doesn't look like she has knockout power. She doesn't look like she has that stinging, striking power. But she does, man. I know she's moving up in weight, and I know that you do have to take that into consideration. You look at the stats for the fight. Significant strikes landed per minute, 5.3 for Firo, 3.66 for Namajunas. 52% accuracy for, to Firo, 40% accuracy for Nama Yunus. Uh, she takes more strikes as well, but it's very slight. 3.5 absorbed per minute for Nama Yunus, 3.48 for Manon Firo. Defense overall, though, is on the side of Rose Nama Yunus. 60% striking defense to a 51% striking defense for Firo. Uh, takedown accuracy is on the side of Nama Yunus with a 57% to a 15% for Firo. But she has a 64% try, uh, takedown defense, does Firo, to a 60% takedown defense for Nama Yunus. If the fight goes to the mat, I would expect the fighter to be using the takedowns would be Firo. But Nama Yunus is very unassuming with her takedowns, where she'll step forward from orthodox to southpaw when the opponent's in the same stance. And then use that right foot, which is now the front foot, to wrap around the lead leg of the opponent and then use it as like a stance changing outside trip. And she'll use that to get takedown. She did it in the fight against Joanna Yunjacek in the second fight. She did it in the last round against Zhang Weili. She's got a very good stance changing outside trip style of takedowns. And once she's on the ground, she's got very good jujitsu. The grappling, in my opinion, goes to Nami Yunus. The technical striking ability goes to Nami Yunus. I would say the in and out movement more would go to Nami Yunus, but the lateral movement you might favor Firo. But I think we're going to see a lot of in and out and then lateral movement so that she can avoid getting caught with that check right hook because she's if she's just moving left and right and not really using the in and out steps, she's going to walk herself into that check hook eventually. And there is a lot of power with Firo in that check right hook that Nami Yunus doesn't have to be worried about. But since she's going to be in and out light on the feet, in, out, in, out, step back, step off, lateral movement, and pivot. That's going to be where Nama Yunus is going to make it a little bit more difficult for Firo. She's going to be using the lead leg sidekicks is Firo. This reminds me a lot of a little bit more technical version of a uh, Michelle Waterson going up against Rose Nama Yunus here. And the one thing I noticed is since she is a southpaw going up against the orthodox fighter in Nama Yunus, that rear head kick fighting against a side stance or side-on fighter is going to be open for Nama Yunus for the majority of the fight. And you notice that when Firo enters in with that sidekick, she goes into that side stance and kind of pauses for a second and then goes back to the lateral movement. But if you can cut her off and start to exploit that side stance, if she misses that sidekick, you can land big combinations. And if you close that distance and counter her, she's not as good at being able to react to the counters of the opponent because she's used to being able to dictate the pace. She's used to being able to dictate the range. And she's used to being able to dictate how the fight goes on the feet. And if you give her any type of pushback, um, I think that that's where Firo starts to break. And I've been pretty big on Firo. I picked her to beat Chukagian. I've picked her in a lot of the fights that I've broken down for her. But I am going to go with the underdog and the former strawweight champion in Nami Yunus. And people might think that it's a risky pick. People might think that it's a bad pick. And I understand why you're looking at it from that perspective because Nami Yunus is, you know, kind of a head case, you know, for a lack of a better term. If she's on, she's on, and she looks like the best fighter in the world. If she's off, she doesn't look the best, and she can lose fights that she should clearly win. But I see a lot of similarities in this fight to the Michelle Waterson fight like I talked about earlier, and I think that sidekick and that side-on stance is going to leave her open 
for that rear head kick of Namajunas. She's fast. She's powerful with head kicks. Sometimes it's more the power comes off the lead leg, but I think with that side-on stance, she's going to be attacking the body kicks like we saw Chukagian use and Myra Bueno Silva use in their fights against Firo. She's going to be looking to counter with the body kick from the orthodox stance, the rear body kick, and the rear head kick. I think she uses that jab, kind of steps off to the side to evade the side kick, comes in with a right head kick, drops Firo, jumps on her and gets her out of there via a submission. I think she drops her with a head kick and submits her. So give me the underdog in the plus 154, plus 160, former strawweight champion, Thug Rose Namajunas to defeat Manon Firo via second round knockdown with a head kick to a rear naked choke submission. I'm going with the underdog in Thug Rose, second round rear naked choke, but it all starts off that rear head kick against the side-on fighter in Manon Firo. All right, going into the main event of the evening, you have a battle in the heavyweight division between the number two-ranked heavyweight, Serial Bongamin Gan, coming off of that submission loss to John Bones Jones back at UFC 285, going up against a grappling standout with great takedowns, great top pressure, vicious ground and pound, and great submissions in Sergey the Polar Bear Spivak. Sergey Spivak is a very dangerous matchup for Cyril Gunn in terms of the relentless pressure, the takedowns, the top control, the ground and pound. We know Gunn has used some submissions before. He's gotten some leg locks, some heel hooks. You know, I believe he's got an arm triangle in his career as well. But the, the grappling is mainly 100% on the side of Spivak. 5.05 takedowns per 15-minute fight with a 65% takedown accuracy. That pretty much means he's getting about three out of every five takedowns that he shoots. And against a guy in Cyril Gan who has a 45% takedown defense, that's a very, very big red flag if you're on the side of Cyril Gan because if he can pressure forward, if he can get those takedowns, if he can get into the top position, land ground and pound and look for a submission, Sergey Spivak can dominate this fight in the grappling. But if the fight stays on the feet and it stays at boxing range, it stays at kickboxing range, Cyril Ghan is going to look like a minus 1,000 favorite against the fighter in Sergey Spivak. The speed, the technical ability, the kicks, the punches, the in-and-out movement, the range management, that's all on the side of Cyril Ghan. This is 100% striker versus grappler, and that's what you have to look at when breaking down the fight from an overall you know, technical perspective and a betting perspective. Do you think Sergey Spivak is going to be able to close that distance in range and get those takedowns early and often before Gan is able to keep the fight at a distance, land big body kicks, land big kicks, land the one-twos, land elbows, land knees, and pick apart Sergey Spivak on the feet like we know he's going to be able to? I think that he will get at least one takedown, but I think it's going to be the fact that he gets a couple takedowns Gon works his way back up, and Gon just eventually pieces him up on the feet and knocks him out. I think it looks very similar to the Tom Aspinall fight against Spivak, where he catches him stepping in, big knee, big elbow, but I think it's going to be a head kick from Gon. He's going to time him stepping in with a one-two, step off, big head kick, or just a one-two down the middle. He's going to hurt Spivak, drop him, and get him out of there via a TKO. I do think you can definitely be on the side of Spivak, who's about a plus 145 underdog, but I think the line is way off in this fight. I think this is a John Jones effect, and although Sergey Spivak is a great wrestler, although he has good ground and pound, although he has good top control, he's not the same fighter as a John Jones, and that's what you have to think about when you're breaking down this fight, because if this stays on the feet, you know, if it stayed on the feet with Jones and Gon, we knew Gon was more technical, but we thought that John Jones could compete. 
Sergei Spivak cannot compete with Gan on the feet, but at the same time, I don't think Gan can necessarily compete with Spivak. If the fight gets to the ground, he's able to get those takedowns, get the top control, and overwork him. So you do have to take that into consideration as well. But from an overall pick perspective, I just don't think that Spivak's going to be able to implement that wrestling, those takedowns, the top control, the ground and pound before he gets caught with a big shot on the feet, before he gets outclassed on the feet against Cyril Gan. I think Gan does get taken down. He works his way back up. He lands big body kicks, opens up a head kick or a one-two down the middle, and Sergey Spivak gets knocked out in round two of the UFC Paris main event. So give me the number two ranked heavyweight. In Serial, Bongamin Gan to defeat the number seven ranked heavyweight Sergey Spivak via second round knockout victory in the UFC Paris main event. All right, that's it for my UFC Paris preview, breakdown, predictions, and analysis. This podcast is going to be available anywhere you get your audio podcast. That includes Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and many more. I'm going to try to get it uploaded to YouTube, but I'm having some issues with my computer, like I mentioned earlier, so I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to be able to get this uploaded, but I am going to try my best to get this uploaded to the YouTube channel as well. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Let's make some money this weekend.